following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. If we can start with facilities, our buildings bird-friendly, then make our maybe our school boards bird-friendly, and who knows, one day maybe have a very bird-friendly province. Zach Steele wants Sir Sanford Fleming College in Lindsay to be the first ever bird-friendly campus in Canada. He'll tell us how on today's episode. Shannon Roselle first appeared on this show about a year ago. Well, her music did, and, and it garnered a lot of wow feedback from listeners. Some 12 months later, more music from the Fenland-based singer-songwriter, but this time a very candid conversation too. Lindsay Heffernan of Cortha Lakes Public Library will tell us about a brand new Branches Grand Opening, but only if she provides us with another installment in our well-defined series, which she's always happy to oblige. And what to do with all those extra coffee mugs and cutlery cluttering up your cupboards? Stick around, because we've got a solution for you. This is the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, a show whose host strives not to start every sentence with, so... Thanks for being with us for this second episode of 2023. Sorry, I'm just doing some kitchen cupboard cleaning. Too many forks and knives and way too many coffee mugs and... Whoa! Well, nothing broke at least. <sighs> what to do with all this cutlery and dishware? Hey, Denis, I just saw something about a place called home needing the kinds of things that you just dropped, but thankfully didn't break. Really? Well, let me put in a call to a place called home, the nonprofit organization that provides shelter and 24-7 support services to the homeless and those at risk in Kawartha Lakes. Hello? Jennifer Lipinski, a place called Home Fundraising Coordinator here. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I am all right as well. At home, in uh, my home with a nice mug of coffee, as I often have on days oh. like this. Hey, but hey, what can you tell us about your recent call out for coffee mugs? We actually are in very short supply, in very dire need. We actually just specifically, not all cutlery, but specifically forks. We are really, really need some forks and uh, some nice coffee mugs, saucers, and cereal bowls. Cutlery does move throughout the shelter. So clients are able to help themselves to snacks and, and so forth. You know, we have 19 people staying with us. We need a lot of cutlery. You mentioned 19 residents. So are you looking at 19 mugs or is there a turnover there as one set is in is in the dishwasher. We would gladly take, I'm sure, double that amount of mugs. The thing with mugs and cereal bowls and saucers, you know, they get heavy use because, you know, they're used three, four, five times a day. And then they're they're washed, they're through put through a sanitizer. So that's that's very hard on, on those kind of dishwares. And also, you know, things do break. Accidents happen. Well, if you're short of those items, what does that mean for, for a place called home and, and your budget? We may have to, to go out and purchase these items, extra items, if we, if we can't find them through the generosity of the community. Yeah, it's, it's just an additional expense that we really can't afford. Um, again, a place called home has to raise over $150,000 each year to keep our operations running smoothly to make sure that clients are receiving adequate and supportive care 
like to the best that our agency can provide. How matching, let's say, do those mugs have to be? I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this person on Cheese Factory Road, for instance, that I know of very intimately, who may have a whole bunch of mugs. Okay, it's me in his cupboard that don't match. We would gladly take unmatching mugs. Absolutely. We would be grateful for any mugs that we receive, truly. What should people keep in mind if they'd like to donate, if they've got that big box of mugs or or forks or cereal bowls? Obviously, you know, nothing chipped or broken. It would be great if they were microwavable friendly. That would be fantastic. And dishwasher safe friendly, I guess. We really don't care what they look like. As so long as they can hold a hot cup of coffee <laughs> or a nice warm bowl of soup. We'll get the word out, Jennifer. Thanks for this. Thank you so much for thinking of a place called home and supporting us. You can bring your good condition coffee mugs, bowls, and forks to a place called home. Ring the front door to their new building at 64 Lindsay Street South. We are brought to you by our exclusive sponsor for almost three years now. Hmm, our anniversary is coming up. We're referring, of course, to Ward's Lawyers. The team at Ward's, led by Carissa Ward, has all your legal needs covered no matter how large or small. Go to their website to find out more at wardlegal.ca. Our twice-monthly show is one of the media offerings of The Advocate magazine in The Advocate Online. In the January issue of the magazine, Kirk Winter takes a deep dive into how the municipal government manages water in Kawartha Lakes, examining costs, past and future, related to potable water as well as dealing with wastewater. And hey, you also got to check out uber-talented cartoonist Walt Rada's latest offering in that issue. You can find the issues of The Advocate magazine all across Kawartha Lakes, including the Burnt River Post Office and the Farm of Choice in Pontypool. It's a problem, a big problem, that the average person will not notice, but birds do die in big numbers in Canada because of windows. Estimates are as high as 40 million birds a year die when they collide with windows. We don't see the after effects because predators quickly make off with the dead prey. Well, a group that originated at our very own Fleming College aims to curb those numbers while striving to become the first ever bird-friendly college campus. Zach Steele is a part-time instructor at Fleming, a graduate of its Fish and Wildlife program, and a member of the Fleming Bird Conservation Committee. He's also the owner of Kawartha Bird Control. And he is here with me now at Ox Lodge at the Frost Campus of Fleming College here in Lindsay. Hey, Zach. Thanks so much for having me. So how much of a problem is it in, in non-urban centers like, like Lindsay, for instance? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely those areas, downtown Toronto, where you've got so many square feet of really, really high vertical glass. Combine that with the fact that it's along a migratory cor corridor. Um, definitely a higher risk area but that's not to say that small towns are, are not also at risk because areas like Lindsay we've got a lot of local agriculture a lot of local natural spaces which is phenomenal and makes it uh, a very attractive place for people to live but we have a really strong bird population here in, in the Kawarthas so buildings like these um, that are not in strictly urban centers but still have enough local habitat and things like that that are drawing birds nearby um, if we can start with, with these smaller areas as well, then the hope is that we can kind of contribute to larger causes, larger organizations, make our 
our facilities, our buildings bird friendly, then make our maybe our school boards bird friendly, then start making our small businesses bird friendly and graduate up to cities. Um, and who knows, one day maybe have a, a very bird friendly province, uh, especially because this is one of the leading declines of any taxa. So that's any group of organisms on the planet is the decline in bird populations in North America. Most people are bird lovers, but if you're not a bird lover, um, ecologically, this is still a massive concern because if you think about the number of birds that feed in a given area and then migrate south or north as they would naturally, um, birds really transport a lot of energy and a lot of uh, materials and, and you know things that are needed by the ecosystem over really, really vast distances. So they're, they're important to so many systems in so many ways, it's really hard to figure out exactly the benefit of one single bird and then amplify that. It's more than just a bird issue, it's, it's an overall conservation issue. I've seen firsthand how quickly these animals can move. So when they're stopped suddenly by an invisible surface, like what happens when they collide with uh, a window, birds of prey in particular can be slightly more at risk because uh, a lot of them, like your accipiters, so that would include Cooper's hawk, sharp shin hawk, northern goshawk here in Ontario, um, those three species are bird hunting birds. They're bird hunting specialists, if you will. So uh, when people have small birds, passerine birds like songbirds or jays hitting a window and falling, what you have then is, is these predatory birds come in to scavenge and put themselves at a secondary risk of another uh, window collision and they also uh, learn really, really quickly. Just on the way here we saw an immature male Cooper's hawk that flew right in front of our car, fortunately it cleared the vehicle, um, and then headed up into a backyard because they learned to feed at backyard bird feeders. Their, their drive and their ability to adapt to urban centers, when you combine those two things, it, it kind of puts them in a, a higher risk category, if you will, as predators. Okay, I want to know then what you can do to these big pane glass windows short of just hanging, dangling pieces of rope. So can you walk me through it and show me what, the, what you've got, like what, how you can and how you and, and your business can prevent this from happening? So uh, just here at the Ox Lodge, as we're looking around, uh, the, the Frost Student Association did a great job raising funds to have someone come in and essentially put up these bird safe window decals. There are a lot of these bird safe window decals on the market, but not many of them work. What you need is a two inch by two inch spacing pattern, and you need to cover the entire surface, exterior surface of glass. And, and they it's are just a series of dots. It's just a series of dots, but the science behind these is phenomenal, and the actual integrity of the product with these feather-friendly decals is top tier compared to what you're going to pick up at Canadian Tire, the little swallow or uh, bird of prey kind of silhouette that you put in the corner of a window. Well, that's great for that corner. If it's a six by six decal, it, it kind of covers like an eight by eight area. But if you're not covering the rest of that surface of glass, you're only minimizing the risk in a given area. So what these do is spread it out in a way that's aesthetically pleasing. And they're not meant to, to draw the eye right away to, for people, what they're meant to do is break up that reflective surface. So the very outside um, flat surface of glass, because a lot of people think of glass as a 2D object, but it is a three-dimensional object. So that first exterior surface um, is where you get a lot of reflectivity. You get that mirroring effect where a bird's sitting in a forest, staring straight forward at a pane of glass, and all that bird sees is the forest because it's the reflection from behind it. And so they'll fly towards it thinking I'm just flying through the forest and before they know it they've collided um, and either are injured or killed right away and a lot of the times those birds that are injured still end up succumbing to those injuries. So what does the bird see yeah. as it's approaching 
and it, will it see dots and go, oh, or what's their process in their mind? Yeah, so the basically what occurs is when they look at that surface, um, instead of the mirror and the reflection that they would usually see, those dots spaced at that particular distance breaks up that image entirely. So when the bird looks, it does perceive the dots. It might not perceive all of them, but no matter where it looks, because they're spaced at the proper distance, it doesn't see the reflection, it doesn't see the forest. Essentially, they see the sticker before they see the window. Or they, they, see the, they see the decon and obstruction, exactly. And what that does is right away, the whole surface then becomes opaque to them because within the space of the dots isn't open enough to allow them to think there's a gap I can slide through, right? And I could fly through there. Because you gotta remember a lot of our, our passerine birds, so those are our songbirds that people love to see at their feeders, American goldfinches, chickadees, things like that. They're really, really small birds. They can fly through a three by three inch, four by four inch spacing. But when you get the spacing correct down to this two inch um, distance gap, it breaks up that reflective pattern enough that basically the bird doesn't see a window anymore, it sees a wall. And birds won't collide with walls. The great thing about here in the Ox Lodge was this was a completely student-run initiative to that they had this idea. The students and the members of the Frost Student Association thought, you know, we, we, we want to do something conservation-based. We want to do something that's impactful and going to make a difference here. Our bird here at uh, the Ox Lodge is the auk. So because we represent ourselves with the images and the thoughts of birds, the Student Association thought we kind of owe it back to the birds to do something to create some sort of initiative that's going to be helpful to them. And so they managed to get probably between 60 to 70 percent of the surface um, covered, which is really, really impressive. My, my role on the Fleming Bird Conservation Committee is the Applied Research Coordinator. So what we're looking at uh, for the new year, we're waiting to hear back on an internal grant here at the college and hopefully it comes through and that will allow us to actually start setting up some control and treatment sites. We're going to look at um, adjacent habitat, we're going to look at interior perching apparatus. So what that means basically is if you've got plants nearby on the inside of the window, well to a bird, if they're not seeing the reflection and they are looking straight through the glass, they think, oh, there's a plant. I, I land on plants all the time. I'm going to fly right through there. And, and there are certain things you can do to reduce the likelihood um, by setting up the interior near the window differently. But without putting those decals on, there's always going to be a chance. And so right now, the conservation biology program students have actually done an initial mesopredator mortality survey. And basically what this does is to check how often a mesopredator is coming by, like a raccoon or whoever, and feeding on a dead bird. And, and so, how did they measure that? Do they have cameras set up? Or? Yeah, so we've used a combination of um, like regimented survey times. So they're checking every so often at the right uh, intervals. Or we've got um, wildlife cameras out there that are actually taking footage and images for us. And uh, the way they set up the study design is we get a lot of um, bird mortality specimens. So those are dead birds that the public can donate, students can donate under the college's scientific collector's permit. And so they're available for educational and scientific research purposes. So these are organisms that have already passed away for one reason or another in the ecosystem. And now we can use them to, to better science and to better the education of, around science. One thing we saw right away was a distinct lack of mesopredator activity under a nocturnal light source. So there's one uh, window that has an exterior light right next to it. Well, this makes quite a bit of sense because something like a raccoon is going to feel quite comfortable and quite confident in the shade and in the shadows. They're highly nocturnal and they've got that big beam of light over that, that dead bird. It's a tasty treat, but that animal knows I've really got to risk my safety to enter that well-lit area and potentially be predated on myself. Selling Ox Lodge and the Student Association, that was an easy sell. 
How do you get people outside of this room and outside of the college to buy into this? That's always a, a difficult part. I mean, a lot of the work I do is going out into the public and celebrating acts of conservation and teaching people a little bit more hands-on about birds. So uh, because I, I own some uh, raptors that I do work with, it's really, really easy to get people in a room with something like a red-tailed hawk or something like a, a peregrine falcon. And then they can kind of see this, this amazing example of what birds can be. When people really get a breakdown of, of what birds are all about, what they do for the ecosystem, what they do for us, most people are turned into a bird lover pretty quickly. I guess I would just ask them, do you want your kids to see birds here? Do you want your grandkids to see birds here? My grandchildren are already at risk of seeing far less easily half the birds that I saw growing up. And to me, that's something that you'll never take away that experience, even if it's a chickadee flying to someone's hand for a peanut or, or seeing a crow out the car window, whatever the bird is. Um, if, if people want that experience to live on, not only for the bird's sake, but for their family's sake, then just get involved somehow. Just get your hands dirty however you see fit. Hi, I'm Zach Steele, owner of Coartha Bird Control and member of the Fleming Bird Conservation Committee. I live in Norland, and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from Coartha Lakes. In mid-January of 2023, when we record this episode, the weather is different. Different than it was yesterday, when there was little to no snow on the ground, and way different than it was over the holiday season, when you needed a shovel to get to the door of the garage that was surrounded by snow so you could get to the snowblower. Snow, then rain, then melting, then ice, then more snow, and sometimes sunshine. And that's just in the past couple of weeks. If only there was a word to describe this up and down weather pattern, a, 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 a word that is truly well-defined, 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 what does that mean anyway? Well-defined. We will get to that well-defined word in a bit, courtesy of Lindsay Heffernan. Lindsay is a library specialist, outreach and community engagement at Kawartha Lakes Public Library. She joins me on the line now. Hey, Lindsay. Hi, Denise. How are you? I'm well. I'm I'm happily ensconced in my home, but I understand your drive was through a lot of those weather conditions we've been dealing through. You strike me as a, as a real Lindsay Kawartha Lakes kind of person who just plows through literally any kind of weather conditions. That, yeah, I think that describes me pretty well. I'm very thankful for snow tires. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> I, I, well, I think it, I, let's hope that we can do like other provinces and mandate them. Uh, but that's a whole other conversation we can have later. And, and I do want uh, I do want you to impart that well-defined word about this up and down weather pattern, but I'm hoping you could take some time to discuss the grand opening of what may now be my favorite branch of your library system, because I did get a sneak peek at it. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad that you've already gone to see it, um, and uh, I hope you continue to enjoy that in the years to come. Uh, we are doing an official grand opening event on Saturday, January 28th. So I know we've been open for a few months, and that's how you've been able to uh, go in and check it out. But we're hoping to really just make a great event and uh, get everyone from the community out to uh, check out the new branch. Well, and we should point out here that the new branch is the one in Bob Cajun, just as you're pulling into town. Exactly. It's at 123 East Street South. Um, on the 28th, we've got a ribbon cutting ceremony. We've also got lots of fun activities happening, uh, sort of 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. You know, a face painter, balloon creatures, uh, coffee, tea, cookies, all sorts of good things. Um, and an amazing grand prize draw that I'd love to uh, share a little bit more about with you. Oh, please do. Tell us about that. 
Buckeyes was able to give us some Yetis for the gift baskets. Uh, we've got a gift card from Bob Cajun Flower Company, T-shirts from Corthodary. Okay, now for people, Lindsay, who may not know what a Yeti is, we're not referring to the uh, uh, the mythical Sasquatch-type creature. I know what a Yeti is because I got one about a year ago, and they're great. Yeah, certainly not the uh, Yeti that you were uh, thinking. No, <laughs> we wouldn't want that. Um, Yetis are really great, uh, I guess, their drinkware. Um, so these are, there's one in a kid's basket and the adult basket. So they're, um, you know, handheld tumblers and they keep your drinks either hot or cold for, I think it's even up to 24 hours. Well, you know, it's special when you call it drinkware instead of just a good old coffee cup thermos, <laughs> which I am notorious for lo losing. And, and there are uh, my mugs all over Kawartha Lakes in various uh, roadsides and on park benches. But my Yeti, my, my drinkware, as it were, I have a rule. It never leaves the house or any of the vehicles because I'm so wary of losing it. Reason enough to get out to the new branch of the library in Bob Cajun, that's that's a big enough of an incentive. And this isn't to take away from the other branches, Lindsay, but there's a lot of just natural light in that building. How conscious a decision was that to, to create that that just that sunshine beaming in? Yeah, we love it too, especially uh, around this time of year when uh, the days are a little bit shorter. This is a brand new library branch, so we really wanted to do it right and make sure it's a welcoming space for the community that, you know, everyone feels welcome to and everyone feels that they can come and sit and stay a while. They don't have to just come and, you know, pick up their books and head out. Like there, there are chairs and tables and uh, it's a welcoming space to come and, you know, spend a couple hours. How would you describe this weather, this up and down weather, as, as I mentioned in the introduction, the up and down, cold, not cold, snow, not snow? It seems like we're really just surviving the ups and downs of winter. Um, so I think perhaps it's just one of the vicissitudes of winter. Okay, I, I know I've seen it, I've seen and I've read it, but it's just one of those words I just kind of passed right over and went, oh, I'm sure it'll explain itself when I read the next sentence. But now you can, <laughs> now you can tell me what it means. Absolutely. So, you know, you talked about the snow, then the rain, then the snow and the repeat and whatnot. So it's the vicissitudes of winter or the changes in phases or conditions. And sometimes that actually uh, more often refers to difficulties related to those changes in uh, phases or conditions. Okay, I will now refer to it as vicissitude. Did I get that? Vicissitude. Yep, absolutely. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you very much, Cindy, as always. So I moved to the area with my boyfriend recently. Uh, we just like the small town feel. Eventually we want to raise a family and we just uh, decided to get out of the city. So I remember when they gave me the keys, actually they were hidden in the dryer vent, which I was like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> and I remember my boyfriend opened the, the door and I literally started crying. I was like, oh my goodness, we did it. I'm like, we bought a house. We bought a house that we wanted for our first house. It had everything that we wanted and it was in an area that we loved. It's just a great feeling. When I walk up and down Kent Street, um, I love the feeling of the small shops. As soon as I moved here, I went and got my hair cut, I checked out the coffee shop, I still have to check out a few more stores, and all my friends are like, oh, how is it? Do you love it? And I was like, I really do. Everyone's so friendly. Um, even when I was in Canadian Tire, I remember I was holding something and didn't have a, a buggy, and the guy behind me was like, oh, you can put your stuff in my cart, it's fine. I'm like, that would never happen in the city. I'm Serena McDonald with Ward's Lawyers, and this is why I choose to live in Corther Lakes. In 90 years, when I'm long dead, will you sing this song to me? 
song that stays with you for all the right reasons like pretty much all of Shannon Roselle's music it's a unique brashy sound married with deep sometimes dark lyrics and a powerful commanding voice that seems to say hey you need to listen to this Shannon Roselle came to singer-songwriter status a bit later than most in her late 20s which might explain the immediate maturity of her first singles like that one there called Day of the Dead on her website, you'll read comparisons of her style to that of other musicians, but I'm not going to share those because I fervently believe Shannon Roselle has a style all her own, which you'll hear more about. Shannon grew up in Oakville, but has lived in more than a few cities in Canada and abroad. But since 2017, this is home, specifically a farmhouse in Fenland Falls, which she shares with her mom and young daughter, Evie. That's where I reached Shannon for a conversation I've been looking forward to becoming a reality since I first discovered her music about a year ago. So you have that connection between Toronto, obviously, Oakville, mm -hmm. Fenland Falls, and Vancouver, and now you're back in, in Fenland. How has all of this shaped you as an artist? Well, we can't leave out the nine months I lived in the Yukon in Whitehorse. Okay, and Wales. And Wales. Yes, I did my master's in Wales, which was a very which was probably the best year of my life. If I had to look at a, a year, that was a really formative year. Um, being dropped in different places really you really learn who you are quickly <laughs> by being taken away from things the comfort of things that are familiar you learn sort of who you're you are but you also by seeing how people you don't realize that people do things differently until you see different places and the fact that we don't all think the same way and we don't all do the same things. And it sounds really trite and obvious when I say that, but when you live in very different cultures in very different regions of the world with different climates, even that are so drastically new to you, that really shapes who people are as a, as a community and as a culture. And I definitely feel like that has helped me as an artist, um, I guess to to observe differently and maybe more closely and to question or, or situate myself in new places and 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 look at that as well i would never want somebody to only experience one place to live i think it's lovely when people live somewhere go live their lives and then come back to a place i think that's a very different experience than staying in one place that's it that's where i'm from i think there is knowledge and wisdom in in seeing how different people do things
you're an artist, it's easy to be consumed by your art mm -hmm. when there aren't other humans in your life that you're responsible for. So how has being mm -hmm. a mother affected your work and your art? Yeah, great question. Um, I definitely have had to, to slow down. You know, if you look at creativity as being sort of like a cycle of the seasons, you just have to accept which season you're in. And for me, with my with my music, I've been in, in like the winter season for a while, which is like quiet, you know, getting ideas forming, sort of starting to get ready to plant seeds. Um, but nothing sort of sprouted necessarily yet new. Well, that's not true entirely, but I've definitely had to slow down. I was happy a couple of weeks ago. I was really lucky and I played my first and last show of 2022. And it was great. It was at the Royal Moose in Bob Cajun. They're doing a new thing. They started it. They've done maybe five weeks of it. I just went there for dinner casually with some friends and it was there was live music. We're like, what's happening? And so then uh, chatted with them and played a couple weeks later. And it was it was such a nice experience to get to reconnect with people live. Like I do make an effort to play locally at the Coach and Horses a lot of times on Friday, on Thursday nights. I have quite a community of friends there that I've developed over the years locally. And I just really love that bar. They've been very supportive of me and my work. And um, so I have been playing, you know, a little bit here and there, but it's not the same as when you show up for people to see you play, right? Um, and so having that and getting to have, you know, decide what I was going to play for people and just having it be a small, really cozy night with people who were there to listen to music. It was, it just really reminded me why I love this and why I still need to make sure that I come out of the winter season and can juggle having a baby who has all the care and nurture that she needs with myself as an artist. Because I think what's so important as parents and just as like fully formed humans is that we keep doing what lights us up. If I just focus 100% on my child, that's not gonna be in her best interest. I have to still do what lights me up and find a way to bring her into that and bring so that I'm my full self for her with her. How can you love me when my fridge is a science experiment? How could you love me when my dishes ain't done? I wasn't as rehearsed as I probably would have been before motherhood and we'll get back to, but, um, but there was something just really, uh, very like sincere and genuine with the connection with the audience that was really special to me. Yeah. How could you love me when to me it's You also came to this later than a lot of musicians, Shannon, like by your own admission in, in your late 20s. So I, I'm, I'm just curious, what kind of songwriter and musician would you be now if you had started in, in your early 20s or your late teens even versus really diving in when you were 29, 30? Yeah, that's 
That's an interesting question. Obviously, I, I don't know exactly. I think, I mean, I came to art making from theater. That was my background. I studied at York and I studied theater making. So writing, creating and performing in it. So I've been performing and music all, all the way through high school and middle school and university. I did study some music in university as well. But the thing that I find about a formal education is sometimes it makes you dislike the thing you're studying, that you that you went there because you love something so much and then you study it formally and it almost makes you lose the, the passion sometimes. It, be it becomes work. Yeah. And definitely theater became work for me and, and it I lost some of the magic of it. And I think for me also, what I loved about theater was music. I just never th thought that I could be an artist, I like a musician. I, I'm not sure. I had some like things happen, <laughs> you know, everyone has like negative experiences and they are, they can be very powerful. What I'm very grateful for though, is studying theater and performance and writing um, away from songwriting and critical thinking has been so helpful for me as a writer. I don't know where I would be if I didn't have that. If I just come to the table wanting to be a musician and saying like, oh, I love Sarah Harmer. I love You Were Here. Her album's amazing because I was obsessed with that in university, right? I feel like trying to have to be that at that time would have not given me my own voice. So coming to it through this like really winding road and coming to it later in life makes, I think has made me love it more and I have more to say because I've seen more, I've lived more, I've struggled more, you know, there have been darker days, you know. Tick tock, what you said, what you said, what you said. Tick tock, what you said, what you said, what you said. Drip drop, what I said, what I said, what I said. Drip drop, what I said. What I said, what I said Just who do you cry out to When you don't believe in God Who's fighting in your corner when that fire I'm going to give you a couple of words here that an image that, that I feel was evoked when I listened to your music Refreshingly haunting I don't want to say unsettling but it maybe put me off kilter a little bit but in, in a good way where it really made me stop and think mm. is that fair i love that thank you thank you i feel like i feel like i write about hauntings i feel like there is a darkness to my music that oftentimes i wish i wish wasn't there necessarily i don't mean to write dark things and when i talk and perform live but i'm not at like a like a dark performer but i agree the songs that are on the album do have they they have a darkness to them that's you know that's where the name came from and i think that writing the album it's written about things that haven't really gone away you know these hauntings that i i keep coming back to and then i you know write about them so um i i appreciate those responses thank you what i said what i said what i said what i said
You have really connected with the environmental cause. Where is that born of? I mean, I just see environmental issues as literally being the core issue that everything else sort of hinges on. Everybody's health and well-being, everyone's livelihood, everyone's happiness hinges on this one central issue. So I think that's why for me, it feels sort of like the ground zero issue that we need to be tackling more intensively. I mean, if we can come together internationally like we did during COVID to find a vaccine in that quickly of a time, then we can be doing so much more in terms of making progress on this issue. There's no question. It doesn't make people money in the short term and people aren't losing money in the short term in the way that we were for COVID. People felt that, right? We weren't working. People, I mean, some people made a lot, yes, but I'm talking most people, we weren't working. Especially performers and artists. Yeah, especially performers and artists, nobody's working. Um, People are losing their lives in a way that's tangible. We see it, cause and effect. COVID leading to these unnecessary, you know, deaths. Whereas climate change, that's, it doesn't have a cause and effect that's as direct and as quick for us to understand that this is the central issue that we need to be looking at. How cathartic was it for you, Shannon, to to write about that and channel that, uh, that passion about the environment in Gonna Love You? You know, what I love about songwriting and what I also find so difficult about songwriting is how few words you have to take and condense a huge idea into like this, you know, 80 words or something. I don't know how many are in there, but you know what I mean? Like it's so few words. So I find it such a great challenge to try and take a big issue and squish it into a song. But I also find it very frustrating. And I mean, when, when that song was written, it was very much an improvised sort of jam setting with a co-writer who was, you know, playing electric guitar. And you just tried a lot of ideas and a lot of just spitfire, just a lot of different things. And then you, then I go back and sort of look at what works and pull those things out and then refine them, refine, you know, rhyme schemes and number of syllables or all different things like that. Um, But also look at what didn't I say that needs to be said and sort of figuring out the hierarchy of what's more important to be said about this issue is I think that's where it's the central challenge is. Do I think I'm necessarily successful in that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, It was very hard to finish that song. That song went unfinished for literally years. So what was it like when you finally did finish it and you could go, Okay, it's done. This is what I wanted. This is my art. It's done. I honestly, it was so satisfying. That has always been like my favorite song. And when I when I had my band back in Toronto and we would play live, that would be our last song. It just has this like anthemic quality to it. And I think that's why I put it out as my first single because I I just I was like, this is what I want you to hear. And if you only hear one thing, this is it. So like, listen up. Here it is. <laughs> And the white horse night, and the birds on their mountain 
Shannon Roselle with Gonna Love You, inspired by her passion for environmental issues. Look for Shannon's forthcoming album titled Within the Shimmering Darkness in the coming months. Until then, you can find her music on your favorite streaming platform and by going to her website, shannonroselle.com. That's Shannon with two N's and Roselle is spelled R-O-S-Z-E-L-L. Keep an eye out for her regular appearances at the Coach and Horses too. Time to thank the people who make this show possible. Ward's Lawyers is our official sponsor. They have been since February of 2020. Great community members and also just a a great legal team. If you're in need of a lawyer, Chris Award and her team of lawyers, they have you covered. I know this because I've used them in the past. Go to wardlegal.ca to find out more. Gerald Van Halteren wrote and performs our theme music and bridges. Shout out going to Jamie Morris for introducing me to Zach Steele, our bird expert. If you'd like to reach out to our show, please do so at our Facebook or Instagram pages. 
And please rate us when you listen on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or the Podbean app. Don't forget to check out the brand new monthly podcast about the Academy Theatre, Now and Then, hosted by Randy Reed. Our show is written, produced, and hosted by me, Denis Grignon. We're back in a few weeks with a very special episode focused entirely on only one interview. It's a very honest and deeply personal and revealing conversation with Jason Ward. Talk to you soon. ask you about this and I'm guessing you have never been asked this before and it may or may not make the recorded part of this and I'm gonna best bet you've never been asked this because I, I did read some of your entries in the the official Fenland Falls uh, website okay so tell me uh, about what is clearly a genuine appreciation for bananas tell me about that <laughs> right yeah. the best fruit why like so good I love them they're always in my kitchen for sure and uh, yeah, I did the banana baking contest in Funland just for fun because Sobeys gave out all these bananas. I don't know if you heard that part. I did, I read that.